Amen. Clay went off to serve Children's Church, but I'm so grateful for him. He's the chairman of my search committee and a dear friend now for 10 years. And um, let, let me just say uh, what a blessing each of you are and what a joy it is to be your pastor and um, what a joy it is to get to raise our children in this church and be a part here for a decade and look forward to many more years, just so it's abundantly clear because I think I scared some people in my email this week. We're not leaving First Baptist Church. We're, uh, we've been granted a sabbatical leave. I'll be back here, Lord willing, on August 14th. to be preaching here again and pastoring back in the saddle. Uh, but we're going to take a little extended time away, um, primarily uh, for rest and rejuvenation. I'll also be working a lot on my um, doctoral project, trying to work on that and, and get the ball down the field a little bit there. And, uh, but just ultimately spending time with family and um, resting a little bit and, and sort of getting recharged uh, for the next 10 years, I hope, of ministry here at First Baptist Church. So um, I've said this already in writing, and I hope I'll have the opportunity to say it again when we get back. But I'll say it again today. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so grateful to get to be your pastor. So, so thank you very, very much. All right. If you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. If you have your Bibles open there, would you do me a favor and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Matthew writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by Him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your Son, and we thank you for your Spirit, who you have so richly blessed us with. And even now, Father, I ask if you would, please help us to see who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, help our hearts respond in worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, I've got a plan today. Today, I want to show you a picture of the Trinity. I've been saving this for the last sermon. I want to show you a picture of the Trinity this morning. Now, if you're looking at the screen right now, you're looking in the wrong place. Look back at your Bible. And you can see a picture of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit here on the pages of the Bible. You can see this picture of the Trinity. Do you see it? When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven 
said, it spoke. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Before we ever existed, the Son has always been eternally begotten of the Father. And before the world ever existed, before any of us ever were, the Spirit is eternally breathed out by the Father and the Son. And as we've tried to look at, and I've tried to show you in the sermon series, this is called the internal works of God. Some people call this the eternal relations of origin. This is who God is privately. Before we ever existed, before we ever, quote, did anything, before any of His external works ever happened, this is who God is. He has always been thus. He has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These relationships have always been there within the Godhead. But of course we also know the Bible reveals all sorts of God's external works, things God does that we can see, things that happen outside of God's inner, personal, private life. These are things that God does like creation or salvation and and other other big um, um, subtitles we can put things under where God's at work and doing things. Scott Swain put it like this, though, when we think about God's internal and external works together, he put it like this, God who in eternity crowns His beloved Son in the Spirit, creates, redeems, and consummates the world in order that He might in time, in time, crown His beloved Son in the Spirit. This is the picture you get to see today. The gates of heaven are open wide. And we can look up and we can look into the open heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Son who is the Word, according to the will of the Father and the pages of the Bible, we can look by faith and we can look and see, and there heaven is open wide, and we can look up right here in space and time in something God did, and we can look up and we can see through this action, through this work, something about God that has always been and will always be true. We get a picture of who God is. Heaven is open and we get to see in through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can see there in the Jordan River something that is happening there that has been happening forever and ever in eternity. And that will happen forever and forever more. And it is God the Father crowning His beloved Son in the Spirit. This morning I want to show you Three truths from this text of Scripture that I think will sum up our discussion on the Trinity over these past eight weeks. And I think that will help you respond to God in nature as you know Him and know Him better. To help you, I mean, I'm sorry, respond to God in worship as you know Him and love Him more. As you learn more about God, you can worship Him with more fervency and more passion. I want to show you three truths this morning about the united works and the united nature of God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm going to show you three truths from one of my favorite passages in the Bible, the baptism of our Lord here this morning. Here's the first. God is united in nature. God is united in nature. We opened this series up eight weeks ago saying this, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord 
is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O First Baptist Church, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then we meet Jesus, don't we? The pages of the Bible. And we're Baptists. And we love the Great Commission. And so hear what Jesus says, though. Contrast this idea with this, what Jesus says in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. This is, our, this is the charter of the church, right? This is why we exist. So hear it. If the, if the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, if that's the charter of Israel, this is the charter of the church. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He is saying that we are to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's saying that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He's saying we should go and teach people all that he commanded. Well, to any Jewish person who doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, this is nothing less than blasphemy. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, are these two contradictory statements? Is Jesus contradicting Deuteronomy 6 here? The answer is no. These two statements make sense because of passages like the one we are considering this morning. I want you to see the way here that this picture of the baptism of Jesus shows us the divinity and personhood of all three members of the Trinity. Both things that we have a hard time holding in balance, right? Divinity and personhood. How can God be one in essence and yet three in personality and personhood? I want you to see the way from the Bible, not from a theology textbook, but from the Bible, the way all three, both of those things are shown in all three persons here. Here's the first. You see the Spirit, the Spirit of God. This is a divine label. This is understood to be divine, and then he is then distinct, though, not merely as, a, as a, something going out from God, not, not merely as a breath from God, but as his own person, even as he is the breath of God. He is distinct as he descends like a dove and comes to rest on Jesus, anointing and crowning him for his work that is to come. And then the voice of the Father speaks from heaven, even as Jesus is being baptized. Notice this, that you have the Son being baptized, and as this is happening, you have the Spirit descending like a dove and resting on our Lord Jesus Christ. And then right after that, you have the voice of the Father from heaven speaking aloud and saying, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. This voice thus identifying himself. First of all, of course, as a divine agent. Jesus, we know, is the Son of God. Matthew's been telling us this. A voice speaks from heaven, and he is speaking clearly and distinctly from Jesus and from the Spirit, if nothing else, by saying, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. What is the Father saying when he calls Jesus his 
son whom he loves. Well, he's saying that Jesus is a son, and he's saying that he is the father. And finally, you see the Lord Jesus himself fulfilling all righteousness by humbly submitting himself to the baptism of John, identifying himself with sinners and those he came to save, and also there being publicly crowned by the Father in the Spirit as he begins his public ministry, being anointed for the work that he's setting out to do. And so in this very moment, we get a glimpse into the private life of God. What an amazing thing this is. I hope it will never get old to you that God has revealed Himself to us. Divine self-disclosure is one of the most beautiful ideas that the human mind can ever entertain. This reality, this truth that God has spoken to us, that He's revealed something of Himself to us. And there when Moses wanted to see His glory, He hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and covered Moses' eyes and Moses was only able to see the trail of his glory as it went by. But here we see the very heavens being opened. Matthew says the heavens are opened and as Jesus looks up, he hears the Father and he sees the Spirit descending on him and you can see the Son in his work and we get a window into heaven so that we can see that yes, the Lord is one. There's total unity here. They are all working in perfect concert. This is a glorious display of unity. Nobody's trying to get somewhere first. Nobody's throwing elbows. Nobody's trying to get the most glory or the most attention. This is perfect unity. But you can see that the Lord is one. But it is also so clear that the Lord is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right here in this text. Right here in this text. We can see the way that God is united in His nature. God is united in His nature. Whatever it means for God to be God, thus is the Father and thus is the Son and thus is the Spirit. All sharing in perfect divinity, yet all distinct in their personhood. This is who God is. And as you begin to think through and learn what God is like and what God is doing, we consider John's statement, God is love. What a sentence. (laughs) What a three-word sentence that packs so much truth and so much glory. And we sometimes find our minds baffled by this thought that God could be both one and three. And yet, when you start to think about the perfect, infinite love that is contained within God, it must be that He is three persons for that love to be as perfect and pure as it could be. Because there has to be relationship for love to be perfect and pure. There are so many aspects of who God is and and what God does that you see the way that His very nature is to be one and three. He must be so. Otherwise, He wouldn't be God. He's united in His nature. But second of all, God is united in works. God is united in His external works. There's unity in the works of God. They're gloriously undivided. So sometimes I think what we might assume, or someone might assume, I don't know, is that when God sets out to do something, He just says, okay, we're going to split this up into thirds, all right? 
and, and the Father will do this part, and the Son will do this part, and the Spirit will do this part, and then we'll all accomplish our part, and we'll get this one thing done. But the Bible seems to indicate, and theologians certainly believe and confess, that, that what is actually happening when God works is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working in concert to accomplish all the works of God. And here we see again the way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are united in the works of God. Salvation, which we see the beginnings of here, right? God at work here bringing His Son into the world and crowning Him with the Spirit, anointing Him for His work as Messiah. Here we see the way that salvation is not uniquely the work of a single person of the Trinity. All three are working in concert at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And this is a lot like the other primary, huge, large work of God. Creation. In fact, in fact, you, you knew you, you get some Old Testament before it's all over with. In fact, I think Matthew intends for us to see some echoes of creation here in this text. I, I think there's an intentional drawing out of creation. There, um, one church father, I think it was Irenaeus, uh, presented this doctrine of recapitulation, which is this idea that Jesus is repeating in his earthly life some of the things, he's going through patterns of some of the things that God's people went through in the past. If you were to just glance over at Matthew chapter 4, I bet you know that story, don't you? It's Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. He spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And this is a classic text of recapitulation, showing the way that Jesus was faithful in the wilderness when God's people, Israel, were not faithful in the wilderness. They were faithless in the wilderness. They died there in the wilderness. Interestingly enough, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy to the devil. Every time the devil tries to quote the Bible, he quotes the Bible back, showing and demonstrating the way that he is coming out of the wilderness as a new Israel who has been faithful to God. Well, then if you back up just a little bit here into John 3, immediately before Jesus goes out into the wilderness, what happens? Immediately before he recapitulates the life of Israel, what happens? He's baptized. What happens there? The Spirit of God, like a dove, is hovering over the beloved Son of God, who is the very image of God Himself. Notice what Genesis chapter 1 says. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God speaks and calls creation out of these waters, and He forms and fills the world and turns it into a place inhabitable for the crown jewel of his creation. And in chapter 1, verse 26, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. I believe with all my heart that this is inner Trinitarian speech. The Father speaking to the Son as the Spirit hovers over the face of the waters, calling creation and calling man out of the formlessness and the void of the primordial world. God is speaking and the Father is purposing creation through the Son and by the Spirit. And now the Spirit of God is hovering 
over these baptismal waters, anointing His beloved Son. The very image of God Himself, this bird imagery from Genesis 1 is being carried over into Matthew 3. We see the way then also that a new creation, the new creation, the second Adam, the image of God, the Israel of God, the fulfillment of all of God's promises is coming out of the water, showing and imaging the way that God created the world and showing the way that a new creation has dawned. And in doing this, Jesus is also foreshadowing the way that God would redeem and renew His creation by foreshadowing His own death and resurrection. Do you see this? I, I, hope, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. Here we see the way in Matthew 3 that the works of God in creation and in salvation are united. That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been working in perfect consort according to their own nature as God and as persons, working in concert to bring the world into existence and working in concert to save the world. The works of God aren't split up among the three. They are working in union in all that God does. The Lord is one. He is at work not only to create us, but to save us from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. And here, as we see the way that God is crowning His Son by the Spirit, the Father is crowning His Son by the Spirit, we can see and reflect on the way that God is at work in union to make the world and to save the world. And in all the works that God does, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are at work. What a beautiful passage this is. But that's not all there is to see here. The final thing I hope you'll see is this. God is united in love. God is united in love. Notice what the Father says. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The love of God, which the Father has for the Son, the Father has for the Spirit, the Spirit has for the Father, and the Spirit has for the Son, and the Son has for the Father, and the Son has the Spirit, the love of God, the perfect, pure, unending flame of love that exists within the Godhead has spilled over into this world. And God created a theater for His glory. And all of this world exists. Everything that exists, exists for us to know and experience the love of God by grace through faith. You were designed to know and love God according to His own mercy. This, my friends, is why the first thing that sin attacks is love. This is why the devil hates 
love. This is why at every turn you see people trying to morph what love is and change what love is. But it's also why we're enamored with love. It's also why we're obsessed with love. It's why people will go to unending lengths for love. There's no great epic in human history that doesn't in one way or another revolve around love. It's because we are designed to know perfect love from God according to His own mercy. It's what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. And from the moment their sin forced them to be expelled from there, it's what all their sons and daughters have sought for all eternity is to get back to knowing that love. You can experience the one true pure love that God has for God in your own heart and life. This is my Beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. What more do any of us really want to hear? Maybe you have children and grandchildren. And um, have you ever noticed you're at a swimming pool or at the beach or just hanging out the house, how badly your kids want you to see them do something? Dad, watch this. Dad, look at this. Dad, won't you see this? Mom, check this out. Mom, isn't this a neat trick? It doesn't matter if it is or not. Say that it's amazing. Okay, guys? What more do any of us really want to hear? Besides, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It's baked into our nature to want to know love. Scott Swain said it like this, Love is the crown jewel bestowed by the Father on the Son in the Spirit, and love is the crown jewel of our life with the Father in the Son by the Spirit. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 13, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You see, I think John could say that beautiful phrase, God is love, because he knew what the Father said about the Son in the Spirit. He heard about Jesus' baptism, and he witnessed the transfiguration, and he had read in the prophet Isaiah what the Father had to say about the Son, and John knew that God is love, and our understanding of God should be an understanding rooted in and seen through and focused on the love of God. Brothers and sisters, I I want you to know you can experience and know personally the love of God. You can hear it said of you through union with Jesus, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Today, I invite you to know and to experience love. To know and experience a love that is greater than any in the world. To know God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to experience the love which He has for you. The love that spills out of His inner life into His external works. And the love that is now bestowed on simple creatures made of dust, who happen to be created in the image of God and who happen to have His love fixed 
upon them. You can experience today the love which God has for you. God the Father has crowned His Son in the Spirit. He's done it forever. There's never a moment when He's not done it. But He's also done it in time. He's done it in this world. He's done it in our broken, sinful world. He did it at Jesus' baptism. He did it at the cross. He did it when He raised Jesus from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, the Bible says. There in the resurrection, God has crowned His Son in the Spirit and He will do it forevermore. And the crown jewel, the jewel in the crown uh, which God has placed on the head of His Son in His Spirit is love. And you can receive this great treasure that for which you were made, that for which your soul longs, you can receive this great treasure today by grace through faith. I want to offer an invitation this morning. I want you to know God. We come here because there truly is a God in heaven. And if you've never put your trust and faith in Him, I offer you this invitation today. If, by God's grace, you feel led by the Spirit to respond in faith, you could know the love of God today. Turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God faith through Jesus. You will be saved. Second of all, second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I need to draw nearer to God I need to draw nearer to this blessed trinity. You take a few moments to pray or you come talk to me afterward. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy it would be for me today to talk to you about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, please, let me invite you to come. Let's pray together.